This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Time now for our regular fortnightly all with Dunedin Mayor Aaron Hawkins who joins us on the line now. Good morning Aaron, nice to have you with us. Kia ora, good morning. Some good news, Aaron, for the communities of Waikawaiti, Karatane and uh, Hawkesbury Village. The do not drink notice for water supplies lifted finally. Yeah, huge relief uh, for those communities. It's been uh, a long six months, uh, but we're finally satisfied. Uh, us and Public Health South that the do not drink notice uh, can be lifted with the, uh, the caveat uh, that people still need to remember to uh, flush their taps, which isn't new advice. It's also not uh, specific to uh, East Otago or even uh, Dunedin, but this is a, a this is something uh, that needs to be addressed uh, around the country. That people should flush their taps uh, at the start of the day and, and before you use it for for cooking and and drinking. And if there has to be a, a silver lining for what has been a, a tax thing six months, it's that it has uh, given prominence to that existing public health advice. No uh, conclusive determination of the source of intermittent elevated lead levels, but there is some suggestion that it's likely to be from pipes and fittings on private properties. Yeah, so the, the investigation that has been undertaken uh, looking at the causes, and there were no shortage of suggestions as to what the cause might be, but the most likely uh, the most likely culprit of, of, the, of the elevated readings is... Um, as, as you say, uh, taps and, and fittings. So uh, we were using uh, a, a taps at the Waikawaiti Golf Club, for example, as uh, to get water um, for sampling. Uh, and it seems uh, most likely that uh, the elevated levels came from um, lead that had leached out of those fittings that are on uh, that are on private property. And, and in the case of the the reservoir, the raw water supply um, result in January, which was the catalyst in the end for the do not drink notice. Uh, the most likely cause of that is a, uh, is a tiny particles of, of solid lead, which you find naturally occurring in the, the bed of the Waikawaiti River, and they get sucked up into the reservoir and then settles as uh, sediment uh, in the reservoir, and uh, that got uh, stirred up uh, on that particular day and, and would have been dealt to by the, the water treatment process at the uh, the water treatment plant out there. Um, it's you know it's been extensive the work that has gone on. We've done more than two thousand tests over that period of time, and, uh, and it's shown us that there is no uh, widespread lead in the in the source water supply or in the distribution network. Um, but it, of course, it can come from um, plumbing and taps and fittings. Uh, on uh, on private property and, and hence the the messaging that um, we in public health south and the Ministry of Health uh, around the Motu are, are pushing at the moment is to remind people of that uh, and uh, and to and to get them to flush their taps. But Michael Butchard yesterday was um, was keen to reiterate that this isn't the biggest risk from uh, in terms of environmental exposure. Uh, to lead in the environment, um, you know there are far greater risks associated with um, old lead-based paints, flaky paint, uh, people uh, undertaking a DIY renovations without appropriate mitigation, and, and those sorts of things people need to be aware of as well. Uh, similarly, you know for for people who are installing new plumbing, 
Uh, there are standards uh, in terms of uh, new uh, taps and fittings, uh, but they are uh, remarkably voluntary. Uh, and I mean, that's something that's already been picked up by the Ministry of Health and their review of the health response uh, to this incident. Is that you know, what's the in essence, what's the value of uh, regulation uh, when it is voluntary? And, and certainly the master plumbers and, and Water New Zealand are quite keen to uh, get some some traction on that uh, as uh, as as well. The council also confident there's no E. coli in the water. There was some uh, testing and investigation around that too because of a, an unusual recent E. coli reading. Yeah, that's and and that is um, that has held up the the lifting of the do not drink notice for uh, uh, the last wee while as as we work through that. But uh, again, the the investigations into that find that it's um, it's most likely a, a sampling error rather than uh, E. coli in the in the water supply. Moving on to other matters, no pay increase for you this time around. Can you live with that? I'll, I'll struggle on. Uh, yeah, the, the 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 remuneration authority determination is um, you know comes around uh, every year. Our what elected members are, are paid is is set by them. It's, it's an external body. We have no ability to pay ourselves uh, more or to to turn down what is uh, what is offered. Um, there have been uh, some changes in terms of. Um, what expenses people can claim. So, for example, you, you've traditionally been able to claim a mileage if you drive so far on on, on official business, and, and that has been uh, expanded out to include um, you know, reasonable costs of uh, public transport or, or wear and tear on uh, on your bike if you're travelling long distances by bike, uh, and also um, some changes around uh, who can qualify. For, I mean, we uh, elected members can access um, uh, reimbursements for childcare costs associated with uh, undertaking council business and going to, to meetings and, and those sorts of things. And so there's been some changes broadening out who can qualify to uh, as, as childcare there, but um, not a not a significant uh, shift in, in remuneration for uh, for elected members in the coming 12 months. I don't know whether it would have uh, come up among your discussions uh, at the local government New Zealand conference, but of comparing and contrasting over a cup of tea or not, I don't know. You were in Blenheim uh, since the last time we spoke. Um, perhaps you could just uh, summarise for us sort of the, key, the key ground that you covered at that conference. There is significant interest in, in the local government sector and the government's reform programme and, and front of minds. Uh, because it's first in the in the pipeline, um, no terrible pun intended is is the work around three waters reform. So there's a, a prominent presence of uh, senior government ministers there uh, to to talk through some of those things. But there's a you know, there's a fair degree of of anxiety and uncertainty uh, in local government as we grapple with what are the most significant. Um, uh, discussions around the purpose and function and role of local councils in, in more than 30 years and being asked to, in terms of you know three waters reform and uh, resource management reform that comes after this and, and we're kicking off this discussion about what is the future for local government and well that, you know, logically you would think you would do that first before uh, undertaking all these other things but these are the cards that we've been dealt uh, and so it's a, which is a lot 
uh, for uh, for people to uh, to contend with, as well as going about the day to day business of of running their their cities or districts or regions. And and we are uh, well equipped. Um, the Metropolitan uh, City Council, in, in terms of having the, the the resource and the and the staff to be able to um, engage in those discussions, and and but that is a, a challenge for for smaller councils, and there's a, a lot of a lot of active debate within a local government about uh, where the sector is heading, and and that was certainly the, the prevailing theme of. Most of the, the formal and informal discussions that were going on in Blenheim. When you get to have an opportunity to get together like that with other local government representatives, um, is it obviously also an opportunity to, to strengthen links? And in, and in what ways do you maintain those contacts throughout the year? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm actively involved in local government in the, insofar as I, I sit on our. The LGNZ organisation, membership organisation, governing body, the, the National Council. So I have regular contact with um, mayors and, and chairs and, and councillors who who sit on that body. Um, uh, similarly, back in 2014, um, I was involved with then uh, Councillor Jinzy McTavish of of Dunedin and setting up a network of. Uh, of young elected members uh, around the country because there weren't that many of them and we felt like there should be more of them and, and that has developed into both physically at, at events like the conference but uh, also digitally has, has developed into a, a really strong support network because you know I've been lucky in that in, in, in my time in local government I've had supportive uh, senior colleagues uh, who are encouraging and, and, and helpful but that isn't always the case uh, for um, for elected members, you know, and there's a, separately there's Te Marawata, which is the Māori elected members network, which again can be a, a lonely place for uh, some of our colleagues to be. So it's you know it's a it's a there are always useful opportunities to to draw strength from uh, and learn from uh, the way that other people go about uh, conducting the business of council, but also how they how they um, manage their own well-being and, and doing what is you know, very um, taxing and, and very public work. Turning now to building and accommodation, the DCC's out, it's a, it's a voice to call for uh, building standards to be strengthened in this country uh, if the country is indeed to uh, meet its vision of uh, promoting healthy homes. Yeah, so the the government are working on a government policy statement for housing, run through the Ministry of, of Housing and Urban Development, and they have very um, noble goals around everyone living in healthy housing that they can afford, and and that, and, and that we look more broadly at factors that can contribute to that. So, what does that mean in terms of not just building houses, what does it mean in terms of urban planning and what does that mean in terms of the transport network and what does that mean in terms of our zero carbon transition and so on. Uh, and, and and while we... The the affordability question and the supply of housing question is obviously front of mind because that is, you know, there is a shortage of housing and that's the case uh, up and down the country. Um, we, we can't lose sight of the the quality of housing problem and while... You know, you can you can um, there are 
any number of mechanisms that you can use to try and retrofit and, and bring older housing uh, up to scratch. Um, if we are going to build the, the new houses that are needed, uh, we need to ensure that they are built in a way that, uh, and that gets better health outcomes for the people who end up living in them and, and the building code. So we as a council uh, can't require new builds in our district to be uh, built to a standard higher than the building code, and, and that is currently uh, inadequate in terms of, um, and that's you know that's a one size fits all prescription. And obviously, different parts of the country have different climates uh, and, and different requirements in terms of making sure that um, people live in, in houses that don't make them sick. Uh, and we haven't had the opportunity to to look at the the building code and how it might contribute to uh, better health outcomes and in quite some time. And, and if, if the government is to achieve its, um, its ambitions, which you know, we fully support, um, it's, it's not going to happen without looking at um, how we build houses in this country. Turning just finally now, Aaron, to... Um to a more local matter, and in a, a sad one, uh, yesterday friends and family gathered to see off uh, Ian Loughran. Of course, uh, listeners on ORFM will know Ian well uh, as host of All Good Poems, Wear Travelling Shoes. Uh, Ian, of course, had a long history supporting and promoting community access media here in, in this city. Uh, many will know him, of course, as a performance poet, a stand-up comedian, a, a director and writer, um, of plays and other productions and mentor of others in the creative industry. It was um, a sad day, uh, wasn't it, yesterday, to say farewell? Yeah, it was a sad day, and, and these things are happening far more frequently for my, than, than <laughs> far too frequently for my liking, but you know, Loft was a, a, a great man of community, and that's not something that you can always say of people, particularly in, in the creative sphere. You know, it's a it can be a, a competitive world, um, but he was always uh, a, a champion of others and a uh, and someone who was keen to provide platforms um, uh, for other artists. I mean, I, I met him uh, in my time at, at Radio One, which and student radio has this amazing thing where you have you know um, all these enthusiastic uh, young university students producing shows, and then always these enigmatic. Uh, older members of the community who turn up and do shows. And it was great to see James Dignan representing them yesterday. Um, and, and Loft was one of those. And, and it was, um, he was uh, uh, a man who brought uh, a lot of uh, great joy to a lot of people, but sadly not enough to himself. This evening at 6 o'clock, a special edition of The Sparkly Show with Dr Ian Chapman will be a tribute to Ian Loughran. Uh, so I do encourage you all to tune in for that. And uh, we're going to go out with uh, well, with a track from, from Ian's, unquestionably Ian's favourite band, of course, The Stranglers, who he saw, I think, a half a dozen times at least. Uh, um, he would tell us all that anyway, many times. <laughs> uh, um, Aaron, I, I do want to thank you once again for joining us uh, for our fortnightly corridor here on ORFM. Um, go well, and we look forward to catching up with you soon. Thanks, Jeff. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.